I'm Frau Kagalia, and this is An Aromatic Life. Do I have a great episode for you today? You know, I've expressed this before. I believe that we live in a very visual-centric world. As a culture, we've put our sense of sight center stage. Seeing informs so much of how we interpret the world and express what we're experiencing. But what if you gradually lose the ability to see? What if your world no longer is sight-centric? Where does the sensory focus go then? Well, I've got an incredible guest for you today. I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Leona Godon. She's a writer, performer, and educator who just so happens to be blind. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Playboy, O, The Oprah Magazine, and Catapult, where she writes the column A Blind Writer's Notebook. She was a 2019 Logan Nonfiction Fellow and has written and produced two theatrical productions, The Star of Happiness, based on Helen Keller's time performing in vaudeville, and The Spectator and the Blind Man, about the invention of Braille. She founded the incredible online magazine Aromatica Poetica, which we'll talk about. It's a forum for exploring the arts and sciences of smell and taste, not specifically for, but welcoming to blind readers and writers. She holds a PhD in English literature from NYU and has lectured on art, accessibility, disability, and technology at NYU's Tandon School of Engineering, Rice University, and the American Printing House for the Blind, among other venues. Leona is a kindred spirit in her quest to bring other senses, specifically our sense of smell, more to the forefront. We have a wonderful conversation about what role the sense of smell has played in her life, which I think you'll be a little surprised about, actually. And we'll talk about how she embraces her sense of smell in her work today. So I won't keep you any longer. Enjoy my conversation with Leona Godin. Hey, Leona, I want to welcome you to an aromatic life. Well, hello. It's so great to be here. (laughs) Thanks for being here. I wanted to actually start with something that has nothing to do with our sense of smell per se, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say is sort of connected to smelling, at least in a way that it relates to how we experience the world. Um, so as I was exploring your wonderful work and you have some amazing work, I'm so grateful to have you on today, but I came across an article that you wrote called me by any other name. And mm-hmm. you wrote about something that I can absolutely relate to, which is, our name. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you were given the name, I'll just call it the M word. You can decide if you want to say it or not. (laughs) And you absolutely hate that name. So you wrote about it. And I want to read an excerpt from the article, if you don't mind. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. So there is power in a name, but there's more power in the naming. And except in fairly rare instances, someone else named you and for the rest of your life, others keep it up personal as it may feel to the wearer of a name, it is not exactly owned by him or her. Strange to think that your parents, wonderfully flawed humans at best, tyrants and dingbats at worst, put this thing on you without having a clue as to who you were or what you were about. I just love that. This is just really hit home for me. I have to tell Mm. you that as someone who's pretty much her whole life lived with a difficult name to pronounce here in the US, it's really affected who I am as a person good or bad, but um, my name's been a big part of my life experience, how I see myself, how I carry myself, you know, how I interact with others. Mm -hmm. And it's all really subconscious, but I feel like that your name 
is something related to a life experience. So I'm just curious, what made you decide to write this article and why do you have such a strong aversion to your your first Even name? name? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can tell people, I, I will, I'll go this far, right? Uh, they have to read the article if they want to know for sure, but uh, or yeah. visit my website. But um, it, it this is a kind of a gimme, but it is uh, a, a former, a former uh, uh, White House uh, wife's name who is also a writer. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> White House wife. So I'm like presidential wife. Whatever was that? First lady. That's what I'm trying to First think of. First lady. lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I grew up with a, a lot of friends that had interesting names like yourself. Um, my three best friends growing up were uh, Olga, Artemis, and Indigo. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so I, I was I was always very jealous. And um I, I'm not sure exactly. I, I think I, I started to try to move towards my middle name, which is what I call myself now, um, Leona. And um and there was a lot of resistance. And I thought that that was so strange. It's like why, you know, why do people feel sort of affronted? by you wanting to be called something different than, you know, what you had nothing to do with in the first place, you know, so it was sort of part of, that's part of why I wrote that article. The other part was that I think it was around that time that I learned, now I could be wrong because I still haven't really verified this, but I thought it was so cool that I don't really want to know if it's not true, but but it was told to me by a, a member of the, the deaf community, so do you, capital D, deaf, um, mm -hmm. who informed me that um, they would they tend to give um, babies a kind of a provisional name and then uh, kind of with the knowledge that they would name themselves once they were sort of old enough, like adolescence or so. Oh, so wow. I thought that was so cool. And I think there's probably several cultures in the world, past and present, that have had something similar, similar kind of naming ceremonies, that kind of thing. And it just makes so much sense, right? I mean, it just makes so much more sense to to, to give a name based on a kind of an emerging personality rather than, you know, kind of trying to dictate this, you know, this, this thing from, to this little, like, not quite human <laughs> entity. Right, yeah. right. That you um, know nothing about, yes. Yeah, and they don't know themselves, yeah, you know. They it's don't know. true, yeah. And I actually had a friend that, oh, Colette was another very dear friend, and she named herself, and actually her mom named her, um, another name and kind of with the same idea like knowing that she would probably um, want to change her name when she was an adolescent which she did and she's an artist and she's kind of amazing so she knew about Colette when we were all you know like 12 or something it was amazing but um yeah so there was so there was that and then there was also this feeling of like well why did you choose the M name it had nothing to do with anybody and like my grandmother's name is Leona so it's actually weirdly more um sort of in line with the idea of sort of naming within a family or that sort of thing. So, so those are some of the reasons. Very good. No, I just thought that was, I, I just really connected with that. And I just wanted to let you know that. And I think what I want everybody listening to really understand is that Leona, you're such a great writer. And I think with a lot of the pieces that you write, you can really connect um, with your work. So oh, that's off good. to you and all the writing that you do. Yay. A wonderful writer. So thank you. I didn't know that. <laughs> nice to hear, I must say. <laughs> uh, so speaking of 
identity, which is kind of in the name, right? But um, you have acquired blindness and you mm -hmm. talk a lot in your work about being blind. Mm -hmm. In fact, you state plainly on your website, blind artist, blind writer, blind actor. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you're pretty, you're pretty you know, what's clear. funny, funny is that I actually just changed that only because I oh, do you say, you know, I, I just changed it because it felt a little wordy. And then I also just added a little events calendar to it. But I do still say up in the tagline is, you know, blind writer, uh, performer, educator, I think I kind of just simplified it. But yes, I am very upfront with the blindness thing. I just kind of felt like I was maybe being a little redundant in my, you know, had to do a little tinkering with the website is all. But yes, I write a lot about blindness, mine and other people's for sure. Okay, so can you, can you tell, take us maybe on a little journey about yourself so we can, you know, get to know you a little better and maybe yeah. even, you don't have to go through all of your life but just in i guess i just would love to know we, we Sorry, this is not going to be here, right <laughs> this is going to be like a bloomsday version of <laughs> of your podcast <laughs> right 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 no no just tell us about where you know where you like even where you were born were you born here in san francisco where i am oh you are in san francisco yeah um I was raised in San Francisco and my parents are from San Francisco, but my dad was in the military. So I was actually born in Belgium, in Brussels, oh. or sort of near Brussels in the big um, military base. It's called Afcent back in the day. Um, but yeah, I grew I grew up in San Francisco. So um, from the time I was like three and a half until I went to college, I, I was in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't think anybody's ever approached me with the idea of acquired blindness before. And it's such a, it's such an interesting way of putting it. Um, I, I should even get more abstract and, and weird about it, but I should say that my life is, has basically been acquiring blindness because it's been a really long journey. Um, I started off life totally sighted when I was like about 10. I, it just sort of couldn't read the the writing on the blackboard. So we went to a series of ophthalmologists and they finally diagnosed me with a progressive retinal eye disease. Um, and so from the time I was 10 for like basically three decades, I would have, I would call myself visually impaired because I, I still, for the most part, I, I kind of from from many of those years, I walked around without a cane, without a dog, but I couldn't see detail. I couldn't read normal size print. Um, I a lot of times I couldn't recognize faces. Um, it, it, so I was definitely visually impaired. I was not blind, and it's just been in like maybe the last five or ten years that I would that I've called myself a blind person as opposed to a visually impaired person. So yeah, so it's been kind of a long journey. I always say I've been on pretty much every notch of the sight blindness continuum. Um, and, uh, and so I write a lot about that, about sort of, um, you know, the fact that blindness is, tends to be seen as kind of a, a binary, you know, one thing or the other, you're either blind okay. or sighted. And, and I definitely have uh, proof life experience to the contrary, I guess I'll say. No, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's the, there's the blindness story. Um, Can I actually interrupt yeah, you for just a minute? Absolutely. I, I will just know. go on and on. So interrupt oh, yeah, no, anytime. No, I, I, <laughs> um, no I, the reason I'm, I said the word acquired, you should know why I mentioned acquired um, 
blindness is because I work a lot with people who have anosmia or not able mm. to smell. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge difference between those that are congenital mm. anosmics, you know, who are born with the inability to smell and those who acquired it. And I think the difference, what I'm hearing you now is the big difference between what you have gone through and what someone who's acquired anosmia is that at least what I've noticed, I haven't gone through it myself, but that they acquired the the inability to smell rather quickly. It sounds mm. like yours was a process. Yeah. And of course, there's many blind people who, who do, you know, suddenly lose their their sight. It, it simply was not, you know, my experience. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think, um, yeah, so, so it, it's, it's been kind of this thing and I like the word acquiring. That's why I was saying. It's kind of like my experience has been acquiring. So in the process of acquiring like blindness. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, um, but yeah, I, I would say that there's a, probably a very big difference in terms of, um, of, adaptation that happens if you suddenly go blind versus being born blind versus like me and a lot of people I will say that I, I you know there's very few people that are born blind I mean relatively speaking to the amount of blind people in the world I mean okay. many of us lose sight gradually like the retinal diseases are kind of like uh way way more common kind of yeah yeah yeah, much more common which and between that and other you know sort of age-related um eye disease there's just a lot more older blind people than there are younger blind people so it's kind of a different experience like I know some people that that were born blind and they had such a different experience than me you know being little blind kids you know it's just a completely different uh different experience of, of of growing up so sure sure yeah okay So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, expressing yourself as an artist. Mm. Okay. You're a writer, an actor, an artist, an educator. I've mentioned you're a phenomenal writer. (laughs) Uh, When did you first get interested in writing? Yeah. um, So I think I've always been interested in being a writer. Um, And and this is kind of the, the, I'll try and put the long story into the short story. Um, But um, you know, I, I, I lost the ability to read when I was quite young. That was kind of the first thing to go for me because I lost my central vision first. Mm-hmm. So I was really a, a big reader when I was a little kid. Um, and then suddenly I couldn't read anymore. And and so there was a lot of frustration for, for many years. I mean, I always say little blind kids have got it so easy these days because, I mean, now we're in the world of, you know, the digital where yes. so much is available to us, um, either um, through uh, digi- digital braille displays or through text to speech. I mean, basically every book that's released now comes out as an ebook, and so I mean, it's amazing, right? I can I can get a book at the same time as my sighted reader peers can, and that just wasn't the case when I was growing up. So, I, I think that I wanted to be a writer, but felt. Um, very quickly, just as I was becoming a teenager. And like, my, by the time I was like 16, I couldn't, I couldn't read normal print anymore. And, 
and also couldn't write, uh, and there were no computers because this is the stone. This was the Stone Age, <laughs> and <I'm> right there. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, so it was just this like complete frustration. I think, and that was such a huge part of my growing up. I wanted to be a writer, felt frustrated, and it was really. Um, but then, because I'm kind of a, a masochist, I you know I. I decided to go to graduate school and <laughs> we'll kind of skip ahead here and uh you know went to graduate school i finally got a computer and and was using a lot of enlargement software um because again i was visually impaired so i could see large like very large print so right. computers made that possible and stuff and um and just kept plugging away and got lots of books on tape back at the time again like before the whole audiobook craze and all that stuff so so just kind of kept plugging away but in an academic way for for many years um again not really feeling connected to like books that were recently published not really feeling part of a writer community that really only started um in the last you know maybe 10 15 years when i started yeah. to feel like i could be a part of a writerly community and not just reading like the classics you know yeah. that i did for yeah. for my graduate degree and stuff so so that's uh so yes i have always wanted to be a writer and no i have not always pursued it so so i guess okay. that's the answer all right <laughs> no but it's um it just to me it seems i'm not a writer myself but it just seems like writing is a really it's also a therapeutic exercise, right? When you're going through something hmm. as, mm -hmm. or did you yeah. not connect that necessarily? It wasn't yeah. about that for you. I think I've spent a lot of time um, kind of journaling and I have always been very forthright about my blindness. Um, I, I think performance was also part of that. Um, I think for me, it's hard for me to tell like the difference between like, therapy and trying to like uh tear down the ocular centric regime yeah <laughs> so <laughs> i hear you yeah <laughs> which uh, which is why i'm so excited to do your podcast because i think we're on the same page there right yes. it's like yeah uh, so i think you know i've always been both like somebody who's trying to work through my own issues and also trying to like train sighted people <laughs> so yeah. there's been kind of two sides to the writing i think in that way okay very good well let's get to the smelling part shall we yes <laughs> so first thing i always like to ask is i just be curious when i say sense of smell what does that mean to you oh my goodness um well what comes to mind just off the top of your head well it's funny you said that and then i like sniffed my wrist just to be like oh, did yes you? i can still smell yes <laughs> <laughs> always checking always checking <laughs> yes um uh i guess it, it it's um it's something that i really didn't pay attention to i mean it's funny because i was kind of prepared for another question which is like how you know is my interest in smell kind of connected with my blindness and and so i, I guess i'll come at this in a different way just because you stumped yeah. me um but, um but yeah i i don't feel like i ever really um connected with my sense of smell very much at all until quite recently really i in some ways maybe it is connected with my with now like total blindness where where i'm at right now i still have just a teeny bit of light perception but like on a good day um so it's so really the the whole interest in smell has has come about you know since i've been a blind person it's been a little bit happenstance um like a happy coincidence in a lot of ways i don't know how much it, it 
like one thing led to the other or whatever. But um, I, I guess I, I, I've always been a, a, the person who kind of loves the, you know, the, the, the quirky or, or the weird or something, you know, but for yeah. some reason, like smell was kind of off my radar. And I, I'll tell you what, I think a lot of it was because my mom was in the, the cosmetic biz for like all of my life growing uh... up. And so I was just, I was just clobbered with, you know, um, like little, uh, you know, sample perfume bottles, you know, all of my childhood. And it really all kind of smelled the same to me. Um, I, I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I wasn't really, I don't know. And I, I still think I'm not a huge fan of like your typical department store fragrances. It's funny. There's like one that stands out in, in my mind and I could kind of probably pick it out of a lineup. Um, yeah. Um, that's like Anique um, like one of her original ones. I think it was very, now I know, I think it, it was, it was probably pretty heavy on the petite grain. Petite uh, grain that's you... a pretty distinct odor. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny because I didn't know it at the time, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know it. I just, I kind of liked it. It was, it was very fresh. It was, it was very different than a lot of, again, those yes. heavy, my mom worked like at, you know, high-end department stores, Saks Fifth Avenue and stuff in San Francisco. And so it was all, you know, it all kind of blended together, especially because I would walk into her, you know, her counter. She didn't sell perfume. She sold, she sold cosmetics, but I would walk in there and it's just an you're not, you know, you're just inundated by fragrance. Yes. I mean, that's why a lot of people are like, stay away. I even, you know, <laughs> was like a, you know, was like one of those people that actually tried to spritz you on your way in. Like I did that a couple of times when I was, you know, a teenager and stuff. And it's like, I get it. People are like, no, there's enough scent going on in this place. I don't want to be spritzed, you know, right, right. Oh, I hear you. I extra hear you. layer. So, so sense of smell for me was definitely um, in, in the background. And I think, you know, it's also tied to this idea of kind of Western culture being so ocular centric, you know, and I was very much, you know, a, kind of, a, I did my PhD in English literature. So, you know, I, I mean, if sense of smell is anything, it's kind of a joke, you know, for a lot of kind of, I, I was in the 18th century um, <laughs> realm of, of existence, you know, in terms of my literature and stuff. So it was all about, you know, vision. And, and yeah, I would say that sense of smell was, was really kind of poo-pooed and, 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 a, and a joke as opposed to something that could actually give you um, information, let alone joy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting you say it like that. It's true, because it can give so much joy, actually. If yeah. you just pay attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so would you say you also, as you were losing your sight, were you leaning into hearing more? I think so. I yeah. think so. You know, what's funny is that I I have dabbled in music and, um, you know, there's kind of this this classic identity of the the blind musician or singer or whatever and mm -hmm. um I, I I've written about this as well and it's like I have been in bands and I am let's just say this I am not musical <laughs> <laughs> no you don't think so I'm pretty sure about that I mean you know I I, I was in kind of punk type bands and stuff. So I didn't really have to be musical, you know, it's all about sort of <laughs> making noise and, and, um, and, and then I, like, at some point I picked up the accordion and it was all very weird and, and sort of like, I called it my avant accordion brain smash and stuff. And so it was, it, it was 
musicish. Maybe we should say that. I like that word. Music-ish. That's a good yeah. one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I I would say that I was going into into this kind of story insofar as like that's how I got my literature all for the most part up until I've recently really made an effort in in learning braille and stuff and but still audio is my main means of like reading and writing and stuff so yes I and and you know my voice recognition starts finally started like kicking in so I think I'm better at that and stuff so yes I think that that was kind of the the direction that if there's you know compensation going on that was definitely the direction I was going okay so let me ask you do you do you think you have a good sense of smell you know, I think I do. I, I'm so sad that I kind of came to this later in life. Um, I, I think, you know, as with all things, I think your sense of smell maybe gets a, a little bit um, worse as you get older. Good news is, though, right? I think women ha- tend to have a little bit better sense of smell. So that's the. And you can train your nose. You can train. And you can train it. Absolutely. I mean, it's been amazing. I, I think. You know, the, the thing people always say is like, oh, do you have a heightened sense of hearing or do you have a heightened sense of smell? And it really is. I think you just hinted at it. Like it's so much about paying attention. And I, I've done this with friends at parties or whatever, when they try and ask me if I have a better sense of hearing. And I'm like, look, just close your eyes right now. And yeah. it's amazing because they will hear uh, instantaneously. They'll have a conversation like behind them that they hadn't been aware of, you know, before closing their eyes. So, so much of it is about attention. And it's true. When I walk in a new room, I do think I, I, you know, a lot of times like a room doesn't identify itself necessarily with sound. It does with smell very often, you know? So, um, yeah. So in that way, I think it's so, it's so much about paying attention. It's so much about like, you know, what, what hits me first and, and, and more and more now that I'm a blind person, smell does hit me before, before even hearing sometimes depending on the situation. So, yeah. Yeah. Tell you a lot about a room. Like you said, it can just kind of prepare you oh even whether it's a kitchen with the foods that are being absolutely or I don't know or just when you walk into somebody's house you already have an impression and I'll I'll tell you I think this is kind of leading into some future topics but I I will say that the one time that my sense of smell growing up definitely big scent memory is like my my aunt and uncle um they had like all this beautiful furniture from around the world. Um, they lived in Peru for many years and they just had this wonderful house. It was full of, you know, wonderful objects and stuff. And, um, but it was a very intense, very recognizable smell of like cedar chests when you walk in the house, you know, and, and like other kinds of, you know, really fragrant, fragrant woods, maybe a little sandalwood in there, but it's such a distinct smell. And, you know, every time I walk into somebody's house, that's kind of like that, it'll yeah. have a kind of a similar smell. And I'm always like, oh, you know, they must have beautiful objects is always what I think, you know, it's like there, there's a beautiful smell attached to beautiful objects in that way. I also wanted to ask you, do you, do you enjoy cooking? Um, I love thinking about cooking. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I love making stuff up. It's really funny because my my partner, like he's got the cooking chops. He, he, 
he trained as a, a sous chef and he's oh, just, wow. he's, he's just really, really good. Um, just naturally he's like way faster. You know, if I cook something, it's going to take me all day long, you know, to just like think about it and, and cut vegetables. And I, I don't even know, like, it just, it just, I don't have a ton of time these days. And, and I'm, yeah. you know, and I really have to think about it in order to do it. I'll say this though, when I was a kid, I loved to cook. I, I that's one of the things that I do feel that I kind of lost a little bit, like lost my confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was a kid that would like, you know, m- no problem. I was like 10, 12. I remember very distinctly, like making up hamburgers for like all my aunts and uncles they all came over to dinner and stuff and and you know and I love that yeah yeah and I I had no problem cooking in front of people so now I feel I think a little shy because it does I have to do things kind of like very tactilely not I mean hygienically of course but you know lots (laughs) lots of lots of feeling (laughs) Um, and uh so so I so I guess the the point is is that I, I I love the idea of cooking. I love putting flavors together and stuff. And this is a perfect match because my partner always jokes like I'm the idea woman, as we were talking about before, and uh, and he's the executioner. So we do a lot of <laughs> we it. do a lot of collaborations where I'll be like, let's make this, you know, and I'll I'll make him like experiment with hydrosols or something crazy, you know, oh, and yeah. uh, and um, so he. Yeah, he's really great about sort of indulging my need to have like wacky flavors in my life and stuff. So, so I would say, yeah, here's another. You do enjoy it. You don't have to be. Yes. You don't have to be the cook. You can still enjoy the the experience. I'm like the executive chef. Yeah, yeah, I'm like the executive chef. I just make up the menus, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> and you could smell and along get, the way. You could stand in the kitchen with him and just. Oh yes, that's our favorite everything. place. That's, that's our favorite place for sure, for sure. <laughs> and do a lot of backseat cooking, much to his. It's the best kind. Yeah, somebody else do the work, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so let's get into your. I'm going to call it a passion project because it seems like you're really passionate about it is um, your website, Aromatica Poetica. Yes. I really, I just love everything about this website. I need everybody to go check it out. It's, it's not only beautifully done, it's, um, it's got incredible content and I'll be putting the link in the show notes so everybody can go check it out, but just really congratulations on creating it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm so I'm so proud of it. I have to say, I, I am, I'm, I'm really proud of it coming into being it. It, um, it was something that I was doubtful about doing. And, and I do have a lot of things going on The the problem that I'm sure you can relate to as being a fellow idea woman yeah. is that you have a lot of things that you want to do and only so many of them ever like come into being and stuff. Yeah. And so, um, Aromatica Poetica, was something that I'd been thinking about for probably a a couple of years before I actually started it. And interesting, this is, this is something that I've thought about a lot, but sometimes you need like some sort of contest or, you know, application process or something to cause you to do something that you were sitting on the fence about. And that's exactly what happened with Aromatica Poetica. Oh, is that right? uh Yeah, tell us how it was created. Yeah. Yeah, how did it end up coming about? I had this idea and, um, and there's a, there's a um a contest i guess you'll call it um that is put out by the lighthouse of san francisco actually san francisco lighthouse um and it's uh unfortunately i can't really 
push people to do it because I think their their application window just ended for this year's contest. But but put it on the radar for people that are blind and visually impaired that are listening out there. Um, they have um, this thing called the Holman Prize, and um, they basically have you kind of pitch an idea and then work through an application process for a project that they will help you create giving you money up to $25,000. Wow. So I, I like to tell this story sometimes in lectures that I do where it's like, and I, you know, I did my pitch video for Aromatica Poetica and I, and I got to the next round and I put together my whole application and, you know, it was a whole proposal of like what you would do with the $25,000 at this whole trip plan. And I got to the next round and then I, and then I did my interview and I, I, a couple final final things got to the final round and then I didn't win. Oh <laughs> yeah. And, that's um, okay. That's <laughs> but I had this really cool website at the end of it. You know, it was like because yeah. I kind of created the website as I was kind of creating the idea of uh, or putting forth this application because it was like over the course of you know eight months or so. And um and and for the first, I would say six months or so, I was basically writing all the articles, um, and then I and then I applied for another grant. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the the Awesome Foundation. They give like micro grants of a thousand bucks. They're very local, so like every city has these. Um, they're they're pretty cool. So they give most of the the chapters will give like a thousand dollars every month and it's kind of um it's very grassroots like the people just get together and 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 just pull their money together and then and then give these thousand dollar grants so i got that grant um through the disability chapter of the awesome foundation and then i um i put the call out for blind writers and um and it was very interesting because I got some, I actually had to kind of push my blind writer friends to be like, hey, you're a writer. Like, you know, I can, I'm going to pay you, you know, 200 bucks to write an article for Aromatica Poetica. You, you need to do this thing, you know? And so I kind of had to push them. But what's interesting is that as soon as I started publishing other people's work, I started getting submissions from, from like non-blind writers. And I like to say that Aromatica Poetica is a, it is a venue sort of welcoming to blind readers and writers, but not particularly for them. You know, it's really for everybody that's interested in your sense of smell, just as much of your work does. Yeah. So it's kind of trying to, trying to bring together the blind and sighted in a way that, you know, we're all on equal footing. I guess that was maybe my, my first kind of impetus to doing that. And it's funny because now I get you know, submissions from around the world, poetry and prose um, from around the world. And I will, and I still, I have to like push my blind friends to, I'm like, did you work on that essay yet? You know, I want to publish you. And so I do feel like we have been sort of kind of left out of the literary establishment for so long that there's a little bit of like fear. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the, the poets seem to be most willing to kind of give space and energy to to the sense of smell over over other writers. We get a lot of poetry. I'll say that much. That's really yeah, poetry. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I mean, to me, smelling is so emotional as it is, right? It's such a visceral experience. It's a lot of how we experience the world around us every day, whether we do it consciously or not, or think about it, or purposefully do it. 
But mm -hmm. I would think that authors or people who are, you know, writers would find it important to add a smell dimension when they're writing to help tell their story, to set the scene, to reveal emotions. Would you agree with that? I do. And which is, which makes it weird that it hasn't been the case as much as it could and should be. Um, and I, I think again, it's all about the whole, you know, ocular centric world that we live in, yeah. um, that, you know, people will, you know, sort of knee jerk, you know, not, not even think about it, tell you, you know, what their main character's eye color is, you know, that doesn't seem to really have anything to do with anything and yeah. maybe won't like ever mention that the sense of smell in an entire novel, you know, I mean, there are definitely exceptions to that, but I do think that it, it has a lot to do with the fact that from the time we're children, we are taught to learn to see. And that's something that I yes. think about a lot in my writing is like, well, of course we're all kind of bad at smelling. We don't ever take the time, you know, nobody yes. teaches us anything, you know? And, but from the age of, you know, a half a year or something, we're like, okay, you know, this is red, you know, you go through your books and like, this is a red fire engine and this is a blue sky and, you know, and all this stuff. And, and so we're taught to pair these things and we're taught to intellectualize sight and yeah. and to some extent hearing but not smell at all and and it's amazing how well you know this right I mean how much we've lost as a culture by not yes. you yeah. know thinking about smell and it's it's it, so on the one hand it's like really exciting right because I do think that there's an opportunity that. there's such a huge opportunity before us exciting it's exciting and and it's funny because once you start looking for smell in like great works of literature you actually do find it you know so it's not something that doesn't exist I mean people always turn to Proust but there's a lot of writers that are very smell oriented I'll say uh, Oscar Wilde is probably one of the ones that I mean my goodness the picture of Dorian Gray if you like read back from yes. page one it's just all about scent you know um and 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 there's a lot of that but but I think we we don't think about it. And so it's not something that we talk about in our English classes. And it's not something that we, you know, talk about in our book clubs or whatever. So, um, yeah. so it's exciting because I, I feel like, yeah, there's so much to be done that it's just like, woohoo, untapped territory for us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you should see me. I sometimes am, I, I don't talk to the TV at night, but if I'm watching a movie or a, a show, I'll think in my head and I'll go, wow, there's a really lost opportunity there. Somebody could have, just even if they just verbalized or, or, or gave clues as to what the place smells like, mm -hmm. you know, even other than the visual, just by talking about it or reacting to, I don't know, there's just so much you can do with there that hasn't been tapped into yet. I think, um, what was the Korean movie? It's not off the top of my head right now. It did a really good job of integrating scent. It won uh, an Oscar. Oh, oh my goodness. I know what you're talking about, but I'm not going to think of the title. Me either, so we'll <laughs> that part, but you know, we'll let talking. the listeners <laughs> fill in the blank there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the brain is the first to go. Uh, <laughs> um, can I ask you, do you find it hard to put smells into words? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm working on it. So maybe, um, maybe I, I, maybe I do only because you have to do so, so much from like whole cloth. Right. I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the irony of, you know, the ocular centric novel, right. Is that so much you're doing if you're in, 
archaeocentric writer is already been done before you know i mean that's where you get into the realm of cliches mm -hmm. but even being a, a good writer you, you you might fall upon the same kinds of things to describe and we have lots of words for vision and we've again we've been taught to write visually um exactly so, that's the problem yeah yeah so there's so much to do as a writer that is you know, trying to think about smells and to not be cliche about it and to not kind of do it gratuitously, really integrate it into one's writing, I think does take some work for sure. You know, it, it, it definitely does. Because again, we have to do so much. We're not, we, we're not able to rely on a lot that has come before us. So, right, right. Um, but I don't think it has to be, you know, it doesn't have to. I think, I think the, the thing is sometimes that people think that it like has to be this way because we haven't practiced it. You know, it's like, gosh, I can't play the piano. Well, have you taken lessons? Have you learned? Have you practiced? No. Tried. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the That's same thing I, with smell. Yeah. Yeah. I tell, I tell my students, uh, because I always ask them to try to practice describing things, you know, just walk around or if you smell anything in your surroundings, just start putting words to it. And there's no right or wrong. I think people are afraid they're going to say it wrong or mm. it's just be the wrong interpretation of what they're smelling and and i think to start you should just start saying words just whatever it is give it a feeling if you can't describe what it is describe how it makes you feel right mm -hmm. start somewhere and just put words to smells i think it's really helpful it starts to build that brain connection that language connection yeah yeah yeah, I mean, and that's what's lacking, right, is that we don't have that that connection between our intellect. I, I listened to that interview that you did with um, with Rachel Hertz, and who's so awesome, and yes. um, and and I think that that came up, right, is, is that yes. you know we we can intellectualize smells, we just we just haven't, you know, and so it ends up feeling like they're just only emotions, which it's a wonderful thing to have an emotional sort of scent memory and stuff, but it doesn't mean that that's the only way to, to think about smells is, yep. you know, sort of anti-intellectual or something like that. That doesn't have to be that, that way, I don't think. Right. Well, there you go. There's an opportunity for you to add smell to your literature or to your writing. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> Yes, so, listeners, listen up. Everybody's listening. <laughs> We're going to see a book in the future from Leona. It's all about scent description. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> we've got a novel in the works. So. You heard it here. Yeah, <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else that you, you'd like to say or uh, about the connection maybe to, to smell and I don't know, this, this, ocular world that you're talking about or to literature or what's an area that we haven't explored that would be something uh, you want to get across anything you can think of or well I mean again what what we're both doing is you know trying to show that there's a wealth of information and uh interesting uh kind of a wealth of opportunity within the the world of of smell and and so it's like sometimes I feel like I am trying to do too many things at once. My my book is very much about about blindness and about how integral blindness has been to kind of Western ocular centric culture, even if they don't, even if many people don't think so. Mm -hmm. And um and and sometimes I think people think that the aromatic poetica project is kind of something totally different. And we've pretty much I think we've touched on this, but but the idea of 
giving more space and energy to our sense of smell um, will by its very nature kind of put our vision into perspective, you know, and because so much of what I'm trying to do is say, you know, people oftentimes think that going blind is the most horrifying, most terrifying uh, thing that could possibly happen to a person. And again, that's all about our ocular centrism that dictates that, right? But I know lots and lots of blind people that are just going about their lives, you know, they're not feeling like tragic figures, you know, they're just going about their lives, um, doing the best they can as all humans are doing and, um, and have very wonderful, you know, rich lives. Uh, Interestingly, blind people are also not really taught to deal with their sense of smell. And that's kind of a sad missed opportunity there as well. So I guess all these things are kind of connected in my mind of like, again, you know, I joke tearing down the ocular centric regime, but, <laughs> and bring and pulling up smell and just trying to put things a little bit more into perspective and on even playing field and realizing that all of our senses are faulty and, you know, need practice and, and, and yes. need vocabulary to, to, to really do their best for us, I think. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's, that's like you, I just through this podcast, I'm trying to get people to just think about this beautiful sense in lots of different ways. So I thank you for being a part of that and for being a part of the conversation. And hopefully we can have, you know, more conversations about it from, from other perspectives in the future together. You never know, you know, definitely something together one day. Absolutely. (laughs) I hope so. Plus, uh, (laughs) Just, just a little nudge in in the public ear to get you to write something for Aromatica Poetica. <laughs> I'll work on that. I promise. I'll okay. Promise. <laughs> I, I'm gonna finish by asking you three questions. I think I gave them to you ahead you of time. Did. I did. <laughs> so I always like to give people a chance to think about what they want to say. So. Let me start with my first question. So what's your favorite smell right now? Yeah, so um, it is actually, that's why I smelled my wrist earlier. So I, uh, I did mention that I'm, I'm working on a novel um, and uh, scent is very central to this novel. And um, I, uh, I decided that I needed a little bit of, vocabulary, a little bit of um, kind of practical experience with the world of perfumery. Um, I, I am, you know, working on like a book launch and all sorts of things. So I couldn't, I can't really dive in completely, but I just, on a whim, I, I was looking at the wonderful courses at, you know, um, the Institute for Art and Olfaction, yes. um, which is just amazing. I mean, it's one of those things that reminds me of college when you read like all the courses and you're like, I want to take that and I want to take that, and yes, then, you yes. know, and they, they all sound so exciting. So I just kind of randomly picked one that worked out with my schedule that was a honey accord class. Um, the scent that we made for this animalic honey accord is gorgeous and I'm wearing it right now and it's really cool and and special. Sounds like it'd be gorgeous. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Then the second question is, do you have a favorite scent memory you can recall? Yeah, I I have a a couple, but I think the one I'll go for is um, 
more recent, it's it's really kind of the beginning of when I started being interested in smell. Um, it was it was actually essential essential oils that first got me interested. I started reading about these things, and I was like, "What the heck are essential oils?" And um, <laughs> excellent, I, yeah. And I and I remember very distinctly. It was probably about oh gosh, six six years ago. I think it was 2015, and I started. So I'm very new. I'm very much a baby baby smeller. Um, so uh, I started ordering essential oils. So I got the Ylang-Ylang and um, I smelled it and I was like, oh my God, I've smelled this smell before. I had no idea that I had, that I had ever smelled it. Like I said, I had no intellectual connection with the smell. And I, right away, it made me think of uh, when I was a little girl and I had a, a Barbie head and, uh, and she, she was like a beauty Barbie, Barbie head. And they had this, like these dyes that you could dye the, 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 the Barbie heads hair with and they had like this you know a langling smell <laughs> it was oh, really wow. weird yeah because yeah, i think at that time weird. like yeah. a langling i think was very much associated with hair because i think that was kind of old school like hair product you know they the same thing happened to me with hill uh hillichrism. yes yeah it were it smelled exactly like my mom's hand cream from like back in the 80s or whatever um because again that was like one of those things that i think they they actually might have used you know isolates or they might have actually used the real thing back in i don't know in the 80s or so in in high-end uh hand cream all right so for the final question what would you say are five smells that best describe you now i should make a, a disclaimer and say that um First of all, this is more probably aspirational than true, but we're just going to, that's my disclaimer, so we're going to go. This is who so you want to be? <laughs> I, it's hard to say, you know, who, where where the line could be drawn. You, right, you right. be the judge. <laughs> um, I've been obsessed with three scents together, and so I think these are where they first came to mind, and then I've got two kind of outliers. So the first three, um, one is vanilla that's the kind of homey sweet part of me I would say mm -hmm. um but you know good vanilla right with with a little bit of that like bourbon extract kind of nice. scent to it so little little deep and rich a little bit dark you know dark sweetness maybe and um and then second uh pepper black pepper essential oil um which oh. those two things go together amazingly by the yes. way um and so pepper fire a little bit of temper trying to tamp it down but uh in the past i have been a little bit too peppery you know and you gotta <laughs> use pepper with a what do they say like a uh, an easy hand or, or like a you gotta be delicate like pepper can easily black pepper can easily overwhelm a scent or a flavor yes, or whatever yes. so so a little bit of pepper is what i'm working on in my own self um uh okay so violet um and Ooh. these are the three scents that go together for me because i just recently from mandy Aftel, i got her um her chef's essence uh alpha ionone um yes. which is like one of the the two uh kind of major isolates that you associate with violet but they're also naturally found in like raspberries and other berry fruit um but anyways those three things together are just amazing this is a this is a freebie for you people out there uh flavorists budding flavorists vanilla black pepper violet amazing together wow. and violet especially alpha ionone i just recently smelled the beta ionone for the first time and i have to say i like the, the alpha better um but it's just man i don't know there's something about violet both 
the the smell, but then the associations with color, with the flower, um, with so many things. I, I feel like it's it's the kind of thing that everybody has a sense of what it is, but it's totally contextual. Um, right. There's something about violet. I mean, especially even the color, right? I think that you could ask five people like what the color violet is and they would kind of have a different, you know, is it a kind of a pinky purple? Is it a bluish purple? Is it a purple purple? Is it, right, you right. know, I, I think it's it's kind of one of those colors that people have very different sense of what it is. And I think that's the same with like the scent. And of course you can't have a violet essential oil. So then you've also got the complication of like these, you know, these uh, molecules that represent violet in perfumery. And I, I guess I like the contextual quality of violet. And it kind of reminds me of like the fact that I've got my hands dipping in so many different, you know, different kinds of worlds, you know, the academic, the artist, the performative, the writerly, and I don't know. So I, I guess that's my, that's my take on violet and, and how good. it's kind of like me. Um, sandalwood, uh, again, kind of, Ooh aspirational uh that idea of groundedness which i don't i haven't tended to have but as i get a little older i think i'm a little better at it uh speaking of getting older sandalwood i think your your trees need to be like 40 to 80 years old <laughs> so something i can definitely relate to as my very first book is being published just as i reach the big five oh so um <laughs> so you know maturity is everything when it comes to sandalwood um smelling delicious and uh and then also i love the idea that sandalwood like the trees themselves they have those little hostoria or whatever they are like they're sort of parasitic they're semi-parasitic so i like the idea that something that like you know the the idea of a beautiful old tree also is kind of sucking some nutrients from its neighboring trees there's something very <laughs> profound there it's very poetic isn't it <laughs> yeah and uh and i guess my last one comes from this animalic uh honey accord that i just made um it's a new fragrance for me um it's a beeswax absolute uh oh. very precious very expensive but just a little teeny eensy bit goes a long way like the dilution was one percent for this this accord that we made but again it's maybe similar to the honey insofar as it's got this like dark sweetness um but it also um it also has a kind of a, a like it smelled like mead when i first smell it it, it, it smell it has like a, almost a boozy intoxicating fragrance and as a, a lifelong uh, a, a boozer, that I I can relate to beeswax. There's a <laughs> beeswax absolute. I do like to flavor my my vodkas with a, a little vanilla vodka violet. So bringing it back there. But anyways, that's my. Wow. Those are my five cents. Those are that's great. I like that a lot. That could be a really unique fragrance. Those five. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. That would be wacky. Yeah. That would be wacky. Um, and delicious. <laughs> wacky and delicious. That's just what you are, right? Exactly. Very. I, I knew there was a summing up. <laughs> the fragrances that well, Leona, me. thank you so much for joining me on An Aromatic Life. It was so wonderful to talk to you. I hope it's not the last time we talk. Um, I don't I, think so. I don't think so either. <laughs> I, I actually wanted to just ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing where people could find you, where could they reach out if they wanted to get in touch with you or if they want to learn more about you. I'll put a lot of things in the show notes, but is there anywhere in particular that people can connect with you? 
well, I can't believe I haven't even managed it. See, this is why I, I, I need some work on, uh, you know, doing the promotion thing. I haven't even mentioned my book that's coming out June 1st, Their Plant yes. Eyes, A Personal and Cultural History of Blindness. It's coming out June 1st from Pantheon Books. Um, so that's, uh, right now, if you Google Their Plant Eyes, you will find my book, which is pretty exciting. Um, it's actually a quote from Milton's Paradise Lost. I stole it from him. Um, uh, my website is drmlgodan.com. And then, of course, Aromatica Poetica. I would love for people to reach out there and submit their their prose, their poetry, um, any articles. Uh, we are very welcoming. We'll, we'll be back open for submissions on April 1st. Wonderful. No, this is wonderful. Thank oh, you so much. Complete pleasure. Thank you so much. Wow, wasn't that great? I really enjoyed talking with Leona. Just a couple of things I want to briefly mention from the episode. First, when we were talking about how few smell references there are these days in literature and movies, and we couldn't remember the movie that had a lot of smell references. Well, that was the South Korean movie Parasite, an incredible movie and such a great example of bringing smells to the forefront, of making odors a part of the plot. It's a really great movie. If you haven't already seen it, I highly recommend you check it out. It won the Oscar last year for Best Picture. And secondly, I think Leona briefly mentioned it, but I do want to say it again. Leona has a book coming out on June 1st called Their Plant Eyes. You can pre-order the book now. I've pre-ordered my copy and I can't wait to read it. It's a personal and cultural history of blindness from Homer to Helen Keller, from Dune to Stevie Wonder, from the invention of Braille to the science of echolocation. She explores the fascinating history of blindness and she interweaves it with her own story of gradually losing her sight. So I've got a link to her book in the show notes. Leona is an incredibly gifted writer, as I think you'll see. So please check it out. And check out her online website, Aromatica Poetica, for more opportunities to read works that are centered around our sense of smell and taste. All the links are in the show notes. There's some wonderful articles in there. All right, I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode. Send me a voicemail. Let me know your thoughts. It's really easy to do. There's a link right in the show notes, which will take you to where you can leave me a voicemail. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day. <laughs>